Hey, Damo. Let's give it up for Damo, man. The man with the mic tonight to share the word. Bless you, Damo. I'm just going to use this thing over here. G'day, friends. For those that don't know you, me, I'm Damo. This beard is real. I grew up myself. Some questions you might like answered. It's about three years old. Yes, I do like Duck Dynasty. <laughs> no, you can't touch it. It's um, it's no secret. There's been a lot of brokenness in our in our church in the past month, and generally, I'm not an emotional guy. I mean, I get told all the time that I don't really show my feelings, but I do have feelings. I mean, for instance, I felt hungry tonight, <laughs> and sometimes I feel tired, but. It's been over the past month that I've actually been able to get in touch with feelings that I've suppressed for many, many years. Even though I've been clean for many years now, it's only been through an incident recently that I've actually allowed myself to feel brokenness. And it was hard. And it is hard, and it's a hard place to be. And while I was in that state of brokenness and trying to get angry at God and not doing very well at it, because the more I tried to get angry at him, the more he comforted me, which was ironic. <laughs> but the more I tried to get angry at God, the more he comforted me. The, I, I was searching the scriptures for verses about um, healing in, in brokenness and he revealed to me that there's this other kind of brokenness, not the sort of brokenness that you feel from a hurt when a loved one dies, but uh, another kind. I was, I was up late one night watching um, the Discovery Channel, as I like to do, late, late night, and uh, there was a documentary about depression, and there's this woman sharing about her, the darkness of, of her depression that she was going through and the, and the horrible pain that she was feeling from this from this severe depression and um, after some questions and discussions it was discovered that her pain and suffering came from a deep sense of betrayal. Someone had betrayed her and the woman for nearly 30 years um, she dedicated her life to the upbringing of her three orphan nieces and so she took care of them and put them through school and she, um, she ministered to them, she tutored them, she comforted them when they raised their knee, you know, she, she, she brought them up, she motivated them, she encouraged them, she did all that she could, um, all her life committed to just helping those three girls grow up. And as the world is, not just in this country, but everywhere, um, you know, they grew up, they got married, they got busy, they had lives, and whether intentionally or not, they turned their back on her. And her confusion gave way to this anger and this anger turned inward and eventually gave way to this full-blown depression. And I couldn't help but think that betrayal and, and rejection can cut a wide gaping wound in our lives. We've all been betrayed, all of us, at some point. 
or we've been let down at some stage or someone's um, neglected us or, or disappointed us in some way. I couldn't help but think that betrayal and unfaithfulness can hurt more than, than a knife wound. And I know what that feels like. I couldn't help but think that these things, that there's probably no worse feeling than feeling the rejection of love. There's probably no worse agony than a betrayal of a trust. There's probably no more demoralizing experience than giving yourself and self-sacrificing that's met with indifference and unappreciation. And I couldn't think of a better example, a human illustration of this type of betrayal and this type of ingratitude and this type of unfaithfulness than this guy called Hosea. And he was a prophet. Now this man of God, this prophet of God, he was called by God to speak to the generation that had turned its back on God. Now if you know me, you know that I like history. I like my Bible history, especially the Old Testament stuff. I find it riveting. I won't bore you with all the riveting things that I find so very exciting, but I will fill you in on enough background so you understand about this. Now, um, Hosea was called of God not just to preach with words, but to experience what God was experiencing with unfaithfulness. To experience what God experiences when his people take him for granted and take his blessings for granted. And he was called of God not just to proclaim the word of God, but he was called to know what it feels like for God when his people take all of his blessings and then just pay him a lip service. He wasn't just a preaching prophet. He was a practicing prophet. He walked the walk and he talked the talk. Now, there are unfortunately some people in the church um, who think Christianity is just words. There's some people in the community that think Christianity is just words. There's some people that think that leadership in the church is an easy thing to do, that you just get up here and you do your thing and you receive some recognition and maybe some prestige. The reality is this, though, and please hear me right, neither the Christian life nor the Christian ministry that is not lived is worth its name. James warns against the desire for wanting Christian leaders, people wanting to be Christian leaders, because he said there's very few that are willing to pay the price that goes along with leadership. Now, Hosea had a tragic marriage. He had a tragic marriage. Um, and it involved having three wayward children that reflected the tragedy of Israel at the time and its unfaithfulness to God. And he, he married an adulterous woman by the name of Goma. And because uh, God wanted Hosea to know what it's like when God experiences rejection by people. Now, his unfaithful wife is an exact replica of the unfaithfulness of God's people. His pain is a miniature model of God's pain. But before I get carried away, let me stop and just give you a little bit of a background about the book of Hosea first. First of all, uh, it's, we're pleased to know it's in the Bible. So that's a good place to start. It's just after Daniel. Um, it was written between 785 and 745 BC, give or take a couple of days and um, it was written around 
after the time of the death of King Solomon, who was the son of King David. And his two sons, in their infinite wisdom, thought it was a great idea to split Israel into two kingdoms. Now, the northern kingdom, which was known as the kingdom of Israel, um, those guys weren't real bright. They were the equivalent of New South Wales supporters. <laughs> hey, it's history. <laughs> and then the southern kingdom was known as the kingdom of Judah. Now, I'm just using that to help you remember the, 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 the different between these, okay? Because one kingdom wasn't really better than the other. They were both going to hell in a basket. But it was just that New South Wales supporters were going there quicker. <laughs> so, I'm just kidding. Uh, the people from Judah held out a little longer than Israel, but um, they too had fallen into rebelling against God and false idol worship and pretty much all the things that God hates. And, and they were at the risk of God's rejection. But God says in chapter 1 that he's going to remember the kingdom of Judah for his own purpose, namely that Jesus is going to come um, through the tribe of Judah one day and that's where the Messiah is going to come from. So he lived in the northern kingdom, Hosea, and those days, to the average Bible reader, they might seem that they're really removed from our times. But I want you to, to listen to this really carefully because those days that they talk about in the Bible, in the book of Hosea, in so many ways resemble our days today, of what we're going through today. Those days are like our days, a time of declining morality and a time of rejecting um, moral absolutes. So at times that uh, the equivalent of the Gallup poll showed that there was large numbers of people that claimed to be Christians, but they didn't actually go to church or practice a faith. They said that they... Um, attend church, but they didn't actually participate in prayer. Uh, they called themselves religious people, but very few of them were actually doing anything about it. The real believers were a small remnant, and for all intents and purposes, God was saying that the people, that, um, that the, the lifestyle that they were living was worse than being a pagan Canaanite. Now, if you were a pagan Canaanite in those days, that was bad. That was worse than being a New South Wales supporter. It was really, really, really bad. They were the, they were the enemy of, of God's people, okay? New Zealand. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, now, now <laughs> those people, um, like the vast majority of our population, they paid God the lip service, but they rejected his moral absolutes. They knew that God demanded obedience, but they outlawed him out of the schools, out of the colleges, out of the universities, out of the courtrooms. And we've done that in our generation too. They realised that faith made a difference in society, but they insisted on taking prayer out of the schools and made it illegal. And they insisted on taking God's word out of the courtrooms and making that illegal. What I'm going to tell you comes straight out of history, and history's got a habit of repeating itself. Whenever God is rejected the enemy moves in. There's no third parties. There's no neutralities. If God's not there, the enemy is. That's the way it is. It's not propaganda. It's not some conspiracy theory. And since God has been kicked out of the schools, just take a look, for example, at America when, when they stopped, that, when they banned prayer in schools in America. What was replaced by it? Murder and violence. Guns. 
here in Australia, they used to have the Ten Commandments in the courtrooms up on the walls, if you remember going to court back <laughs> then, apparently. So I've heard. But they took them down. They took them off the walls of the courtrooms and they were replaced by evil men who mock God with poor decisions and judge our society with all these ridiculous petty punishments for the most horrific crimes because these men themselves are corrupt and being involved in those crimes as well. In our classrooms, we used to say the Lord's Prayer when I was in a public school, when I was in primary school, but they don't do that anymore. Who remembers religious education at school? We had a little old lady, Mrs. Smith, and she used to bring us Alan's snakes. That's the only reason that I went to religious education. <laughs> but they take, they've taken religious education and prayer out of schools, and what have, what's been replaced? They've replaced it with condoms. Free condoms in schools. Promiscuity. This huge spike in, in teenage pregnancy in schools. When God's laws are outlawed, Depravity takes over. All it takes for evil to thrive is for good people not to say anything about it. Those days aren't like, aren't unlike these days. And I want you to take note of how God dealt with them then because that's how he's dealing with us now. We need to understand that there's consequences to breaking the promises we make to God. We need to understand the consequences of unfaithfulness to God. We need to understand the consequences of denying God. We need to understand that there's consequences of just paying him lip service. God said to Hosea, go and take a prostitute for a wife. Now, Hosea was writing this towards the end of his life. And the Holy Spirit would have been inspiring him to write this life story and what had happened. So it was in retrospect. And he realizes that Gomer was a prostitute. And when he married her, she wasn't. She was a good woman. Um, she was a wonderful woman, just as Israel began with God, in obedience and in love and intimacy, voluntarily into a covenant with God. And God was saying to Hosea, I want you to know how unfaithfulness feels to me. And I asked myself, why that guy, why Hosea had to go through something like that? Why would, he had, why would God make someone endure that pain of unfaithfulness? Why did he have to endure the heartbreak of that betrayal? And I've come to certain conclusions. I think that brokenness is the only way that we can truly understand the heart of God. Through brokenness, we can comprehend the nature of sin and through brokenness you can fathom the strength of God's love. It's through brokenness that you begin to understand the depth of God's love for us. There's a lot of Christians that think that they can grow in their faith and in knowledge when they're just going from mountaintop experience to mountaintop experience and going through all the good times. But I want to tell you that that's not true. Mountaintop experiences don't last very long. They might give you a warm, fuzzy feeling for a little while, but it's never lasting. For true growth, you've got to go to the valley can only truly understand God when you're in the low places of your life. I'm not saying that you can't 
explore him and discover him in the good places in your life, but to truly understand the heart of God, you need to understand that brokenness. And that's why he put Hosea through that. Hosea never could have comprehended how God feels. He never could have understood how God suffers and the pain that people cause God. He couldn't have understood how God feels toward his unfaithful people. He never could have felt how God felt until he himself married into unfaithfulness. But we, might, we need to remember this too, that through brokenness, God can use us. He can do one of two things. It can make us better or it can make us bitter. Choice is yours. I prayed with Captain Andrew a couple of weeks ago because, like I said, I'd reached the point of my own brokenness. And I was willing to admit that. And, like I said, I went home and I, and I studied the Word for a bit and I, and I learnt some things. I learnt that reading through the Bible, that it was only through the breaking of the rock by Moses that the cool water flowed out and it quenched the people, the, God's, the thirst of God's people. It was only when Gideon's chosen 300 broke their, their clay pots, which is a symbol and a type of breaking of themselves, that their light shone and the enemies were absolutely confounded and scattered. It was only when Jesus took those five loaves and broke them that the multitudes were fed. It was only when Mary took that alabaster box and smashed it that all the pent-up perfume filled the house and that beautiful aroma felt the, filled, the, filled the room. It was only when Jesus allowed his body to be broken with thorns and nails and a spear that his redemption poured out for us. A lot of us have lost the sense of awesomeness and the strength of God and we've undermined the sinfulness of sin. We rationalize it. We tranquilize it. We try to counsel it. We do all sorts of things except deal with it. You can't read the story of Hosea without coming face to face with the agony of that guy's heart. I encourage you, if you haven't read that story, it's only short. You can read it in about half an hour. Have a read. It's an amazing story. But you can't, you can't read the story without coming face to face with the agony that that guy felt in his heart. And, and these days of, of sexual promiscuity and, and marital infidelity, in these times of broken marriage vows, uh, we do well to see how sin created havoc in our lives and in the church back then as well. And how, how that creates pain in the community, it just doesn't affect the family household, it affects the people around that household and it affects whole communities and it affects whole churches. That guy probably spent many sleepless nights weeping over the unfaithfulness of his wife and he probably agonised for days on end, I imagine. His body probably ached with pain, with the thought of it all. But through it, he was able to comprehend the sinfulness of sin and what sin does to the heart of God. That is nothing to actually to do with an unfaithful woman and a faithful husband. It really has nothing to do with that because it's just an image that's God, that God's using in this story. See, God's the faithful spouse. He's, he's the perfect husband. He's the perfect spouse. He's the perfect one. It has nothing to do with male or female gender because you can have an unfaithful husband too, which is usually the case, unfortunately. The Bible presents the Lord as the husband of his people. Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is his bride. 
And that's the imagery here that he has in this book. He's the perfect spouse. We've got really no idea how God feels about our unfaithfulness toward him until we've experienced the unfaithfulness from someone dear to us. David, King David came to a point in his life where he'd done some pretty horrible things. He was unfaithful. He was unfaithful to God, to his best mate, to his, to his city, to his nation. And, and he was confronted by Nathan, his prophet, and about the nature of his sin. And all of a sudden it dawned on him that he didn't only sin against Uriah, his best friend, but he'd sinned against God. And, and in Psalm 51, David's crying out and he's going, Oh, God, it's against you that I've sinned. The penny drops. He's hurt all these people, but it's really against God. In brokenness, you'll understand how God feels. But you can also fathom the strength of God's love. You know, um, another incredible thing in Hosea that I found really interesting was the names that God told Hosea to call his kids oh, horrible names, as if Goma wasn't bad enough for a wife. <laughs> the names of his kids. Um, the first one, Jezreel, that was associated with a heap of violence and bloodshed earlier in um, Israelite history. Lo Rahama, which means no mercy. And then Lo Ami, which means nobody, not my people. That's what he called his kids. That's what God told him to call his kids. That was the meanings of their names. I hope my name doesn't mean anything that terrible. I like to think that my name means he who has a great beard. <laughs> or he who enjoys too much bacon. But God, God specifically told Hosea to call, call his children these horrible names. And uh, he's telling him, what he's going to do to Israel because Israel's broken all these promises to God again and again and again and because of that they're going to be rejected by God that he's not going to show them mercy that that they're not going to be his people anymore and you'll notice that this is repeated again and again this theme all the way through Hosea but God is always willing to forgive those that come back to him and that's the good part despite of our sin, despite of all our unfaithfulness, despite of our ingratitude towards God, he's always willing to forgive us. You know, Hosea had that incredible privilege of looking into the future and seeing that God, despite calling his people no mercy and not my people, that one day, because of his incredible love for us, that he himself was sending someone, not, not someone else, but he himself would come from heaven and take our sin away. And he showed Hosea that in the book. You and I are privileged to be called the children of God. We weren't his people, but we became his people. We had no mercy, and he gave us mercy. And that's the fulfillment of that prophecy in the book of Hosea. Peter, in the New Testament, was thinking of those verses, and he says it too. He says, 
There were those who in times past were not my people, but are now my people. That's who God's talking about. That's who Peter was talking about. That's us now. We weren't God's people, but we are God's people now. God suffers in the presence of sin, but his love is so deep and so wide that he keeps the door open no matter what you've done. And he says, come, I've been waiting for you. Turn to me and repent. Now, I'm told that the earth and the sun belong to this galaxy that contains more than 100 billion stars and planets, roughly, give or take a couple. And in addition to our small galaxy, (laughs) that's a small galaxy, in addition to that, there's billions of other stars and planets that are spinning through what seems to be like this endless universe. They, They still haven't even got to the edge of it yet. Every time they think they've got further, they realize that they haven't even really begun. It just keeps going and going and going. And they, they measure the space. Um, for convenience, scientists use the term light years to describe the, the vast distance between things in our universe. Um, because the distances are just so hard to understand between the planets and the stars and the solar systems. They're just so far apart. That's because it's so huge. And since light travels at about 6 trillion miles a year, we can sort of fathom how far away those solar masses are, apparently if you're a science nerd or maybe Stewie that understands all that kind of stuff. Light also travels quicker than sound. That's why some people appear bright until they speak. (laughs) But that's another matter entirely. The nearest galaxy is 2 billion light years away. But here's the good news. In Psalm 108, verse 4, it says this, The Lord's mercy is greater than the expanse of the universe. When you think about how big the universe is, and then you read that, that excites me. The Lord's mercy is greater than the expanse of the universe. His mercy doesn't run out. His love for us doesn't run out. God can use your brokenness and your pain if you let him. What you've experienced in those times of hurt and betrayal and abandonment is how God feels when you reject him. But you can also experience the power of God to love purely again. Let me say this as I conclude. You don't know my heart any more than I know yours, but... I know that God's been speaking to people tonight and God's been challenging people tonight. And you know who you are because you're experiencing brokenness right now. Listen to the voice of God because he's saying, trust me, I won't betray you. I won't abandon you. I won't walk away. I'll walk with you through it because I know how you feel. I know how you feel. Allow me to use you and use your brokenness. To some of you, God's saying, you've been taking my love for granted. You've been taking my mercy and my grace for granted. Stop. You've grieved my heart long enough. Stop. Friends, cease your indifference towards God. Cease your indifference towards God's word. Stop playing church.
and paying him lip service if that's what you're doing. Stop playing church and be the church. As the band comes up, I don't know what song they've selected. I was kind of hoping, Claire, that you'd play that one that we just finished with before. I want to invite you tonight, friends, that you can turn and be renewed today. Some other, other people in the room tonight, God's saying something else. He's reminding you that you've lost your way, but because of his love for you, he wants you back. He wants you to know the message of his infinite love for you. He forgives you when you repent. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. We've already heard that this evening. I had no idea they were going to sing the songs that they were going to sing tonight. I had no idea that Claire was going to say that today is a day for salvation when she was praying before, when I wrote my message. The time is now. Don't put it off. I want to invite you tonight that if you've been convicted of turning your back on God, of neglecting Him, taking Him for granted, paying Him lip service, of giving Him the bare minimum of your time and your resources because you feel you've got more important things to do, respond to Him tonight. Don't put it off. Now is the time. Dear Heavenly Father, you see the secrets of our hearts. There's nothing hidden from you. You know us through and through, and, and therefore when we come to you, God, we come to you like an open book. We can't hide anything from you, Lord. And we thank you that you've spoken into our hearts tonight, that you've brought conviction into our lives. I pray, Lord, that whatever it is that you've convicted my brothers and sisters of tonight, that you give them the strength to hand it over to you. We confess that we're powerless without you, Lord, and we can't do a thing without your strength. I pray that we would each respond in obedience to the conviction that you've placed in our hearts. And you'd give us the courage to let you turn our brokenness into blessing that brings glory to you. I thank you for these things, and I ask them in Jesus' name.